listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast, where we make adulting easier by making money easier. This is your host, Lauren, and I'm joined today by Barbara Sloan, author of the book Tipped, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. A homeless teen who danced for dollars and definitely did not graduate from college, Barbara spent two decades working in every imaginable position in the service industry all over the country. She's now a personal finance expert and money coach. In addition to owning and running a badass women-owned construction company in the heart of Manhattan, she helps tipped workers achieve financial freedom like she did. She's passionate about all of the amazing aspects of tipped work and passionate about all of the terrible aspects of tipped work as well. Thanks for joining me, Barbara. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So everybody, let's talk about property management software that's a little bit different. First of all, software doesn't really solve all of your problems. That's why Hemlane's property management provides 24-7 repair coordination. That's right. Use your own service professionals or tap into their licensed network. Secondly, many of you are out of state. So Hemlane connects you with licensed leasing agents and other tenant placement services to help you find a tenant. And third, Hemlane is ranked number one by Gartner with 4.8 reviews overall. So they're legit. Visit www.hemlane.com and don't forget to tell them that Adulting is Easy sent you. Again, that's www.hemlane.com. Hemlane will dramatically improve your property management. So our goal for today is to make adulting easier for listeners by discussing a personal finance topic, since managing money is a big part of adulting. So today, Barbara, you and I are going to talk about personal finance for service industry professionals. First, though, congrats on writing and publishing a book. That is amazing. Thank you so much. It's definitely a labor of love. It takes a long time to write a book and a long time to edit a book and a long time to market a book. So I had no idea. How so? How long did it take you? When did you start writing it? I think the concept came to me in. It, it started in kind of 2016, 17. I really started writing it in 2019. Um, so I would say, really, with my head down, a year of writing, a year of editing, and so now we're in a year of marketing. Yeah, well, it turned out great. Thank you so much. How are sales? How many people have read it? Sales are going really well. I'm actually very impressed with sales. I just got on a top personal finance books of 2022 list, which was a huge honor. Um, And, you know, I didn't expect that because this is such a niche book, but I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with how much recognition it's getting so far. It is niche, right? Because it's for service industry professionals. But of course, there are some topics of personal finance that kind of apply to everyone, of course. I mean, obviously, you talk about emergency funds and budgeting, but of course, you use language and kind of similes and metaphors that relate to the service industry. So I think it's definitely applicable to anybody. I was reading it. And actually, I didn't tell you this before we started recording, but I like realized I forgot to pay my credit card while I was reading your book and I stopped and paid my credit card. So thank you for that. <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm glad it can ha- it I'm glad it can help people of all levels. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Even someone as far along the path as you are. <laughs> yeah, I need to automate that probably. Uh, but anyways, so so which jobs are we talking about? We're saying service industry professionals. Who are these folks that are kind of being underserved by the personal finance content community? Yeah. So service industry professionals are people who work on tips that work in services like hospitality. So think bars, clubs, restaurants, beauty and body services, think massage therapists, hairstylists, tattoo artists, um, 
transportation delivery services. So your taxi driver, your Uber driver, the people who help you move when you change, you know, homes and also in maintenance. So maybe your mechanic, your lawn person, your pool person, things, jobs like that. I tend to focus on people who work in the hospitality side and beauty and body services, because most of those people are subject to the $2 and 13 cents sub minimum wage and which I cannot believe we still are talking about this. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So people who work in bars, restaurants, clubs, they're all subject to $2 and 13 cents. That is their minimum wage. Now, some states have gone and created a different subminimum wage that's higher than that. For instance, California is $15 an hour, but there's still over a dozen states that are still holding to that federal subminimum wage of $2 and 13 cents. So that's obviously one of the downsides of working as a service industry professional. What are some of the other kind of downsides that really make finance and personal financial planning more important for that group? Yeah. So inconsistent income is a big one. Um, It's hard to automate your finances when you have inconsistent income. It's hard to budget when you have inconsistent income. So that's, that one's kind of a bummer. The other one is benefits. Benefits is one of the biggest bummers of working in the service industry. You just don't have access to a 401k, paid time off, health insurance, even a human resources person that you can talk to about these benefits. Um, It's just, it's lacking in the industry. Other, other downers can be hazards within the industry, such as um, the general public. (laughs) <laughs> they can chip away at your confidence. They can, um, yeah, they can put you in unsafe or uneasy situations. Also poor boundaries are sometimes a downer of the industry. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are some of the downers. Yeah. And in your book, I was thinking about too, you're around basically drugs and alcohol a lot more than, you know, a service desk worker, like somebody who is me, like I'm sitting at my desk using just knowledge worker, using my brain and that's it. I'm not using my body very much and certainly I'm not exposed to people around me drinking and and spending their money kind of all around me all the time. Yeah. So those are, those are influences and you have to remember that your environment impacts who you are and the things that you do. And so it just takes a lot more intentionality to make sure that you're aware of those influences on you and your spending. So what makes you like the service industry and so many other service industry professionals, what are the good things about working in that? Oh, so there's flexible schedules. There's income or sorry, there's independent, um, your, your location independent. So it's a career that you can take anywhere that you want. There is easy access to cash. The jobs can be really fun. There's socialization and networking. Um, yeah, those are a lot of, a lot of the great aspects. I remember taking a, a college course and the, one of our professors said that the happiest people in the world were hairstylists. And I remember being like, why is that? And he was like, well, they get to see the beginning and end of a creative project, like project every single day. They get socialization with new people as well as with their coworkers. They can take their job anywhere and they have mastery in something. And I just remember thinking that's, that's really kind of a, a cheat code for life is, is all of those things. And you get all of that when you work in the service industry. Absolutely. And it really struck me when you were in your, in your book, when you were talking about 
you can move, you can take that. It doesn't take necessarily as long to find another job in between jobs and things like that. And you said you've worked all around the country. What was your background like as you were moving around and what were you up to and what were you doing? Yeah. When I first started going kind of full-time in the industry, I was living in Los Angeles and I started with, this was back in the day when this was maybe more safe, but Craigslist ads. Um, I was doing catering gigs and in-home bartending and serving for private events, private parties. Um, I lived in Las Vegas where I was a bartender. I worked at dive bars. I learned how to become a flair bartender. I was a sideshow showgirl. I worked in Boston where I worked at Fenway Park slinging beers. I ran a dance troupe. I was a pole dancer. I was a burlesque dancer. I moved to New York. I became a coyote working at Coyote Ugly. So I've kind of worked and lived all over the country in a lot of different service industry roles. So what made you get passionate about personal finance? When did that happen? That happened in 2013, 2014. My wife and I had just moved to New York. We had like $700 in our pocket. I got two jobs. The first was working Coyote Ugly. The second, I was working days on Wall Street for an unregulated market. So it was part trading floor, part independent sales organization selling Mm. like usurious loan products, totally shady stuff. Um, but that was a huge education for me, not only on the markets, but on predatory lending and financial services. And it was so toxic. I ended up leaving after six months and getting a job in construction. Um, I was employee number three at the company that I now own. And I remember I was tasked with setting up benefits. Well, I had no idea what any of these benefits were. So like I was deep diving all of these benefits And at the same time, we were working for these really high net worth clients on million dollar projects. And so I was getting to have conversations with them about their budgets, big, big budgets, and to see how they thought about money when it seemed like they had unlimited resources. I was like, oh, this is what me and my peers have been missing. We've been missing these systems and benefits and this financial literacy and mindset. And it was just sort of an aha moment like, oh, this is the reason that I haven't been able to build wealth. And somebody needs to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there are certainly, I think, systemic issues that need to be fixed. However, I think your book does a great job of pointing out, let's control what we can control and kind of create your own benefits, kind of. So can you talk through, uh, you know, maybe some of the steps that service industry professionals can take? Yeah. So the first thing I always like to point out is that retirement accounts are available to everybody, not just people who have an employer. The only thing that makes an account a retirement account is that it's tax advantage. You can bucket for your retirement in lots of different ways. It can look like you know investment properties and real estate. It can also just look like a brokerage account that is you know going to cover that four percent withdrawal rate or you know a combination of your brokerage and your IRA. So you don't necessarily need to have a retirement account offered by your employer to be able to retire. And so I really encourage people who are in the industry who don't have access to things like 401ks and pensions or 457s or any of those things, you can set up your own retirement through a combination of retirement accounts like an IRA and non-tax advantage brokerage accounts. You can also set up your own paid time off. And the thing I love about setting up your own paid time off is that you get to decide how many days off you're going to take in a year. And so you build that up like a bucket, just as your employer would, where you say, this is how many days I'm going to take off in a year. 
and you save for that. Like I, I put out a little Instagram post reminding people that it's a great time during the holidays to save up your holiday tips, to bucket that for your PTO for the next year. And you put it aside and you say, okay, this is my 10 days of PTO. And every time you get a day off or you take a day off, you pull from that bucket to pay yourself. Paid time off is a huge benefit that most working people get. The average American gets 20 paid days off. Like people in this industry experience so much burnout. And one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons I think the industry is looked down on a lot is because people do automatically just up and quit. And it's because there's nothing tying them to this job. And also there's a lot of burnout happening. Yeah, that was really eye-opening for me. I was a server for one summer. And it's not that I didn't like it or anything, but like, you know, that's just when I was home from school and things. I'm glad I did it. I sort of think everybody should do that just so that they know what it's like for these people that are going to be serving them for the rest of their lives. But that's that's just a side note. But it was very interesting to me when you were talking about when you're feeling run down, right? Get enough sleep, drink a lot of water, but take your time. Don't take every double shift that you can right? Go easy on yourself because it's going to literally financially and otherwise hurt you in the long run. Yeah. And this industry, it can kind of feel like golden handcuffs because this industry does not have an income problem. Typically that's not the problem in this industry. And so you get addicted to that cash. And so that can leave you wanting to do those doubles and those clopins and lead you to that burnout. And speaking of cash, I thought you made some really good points in your book about why you should declare some of your cash, some of your tips on your taxes. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame people who don't, especially when you don't get any benefits. Like I totally get, it's like your own version of a pre-tax benefit and I'm, 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 I'm all for it, but there's a lot of reasons why you need to be claiming a good majority of your income. The biggest one is social security. So Social security is a partial income replacement plan. And if you're not claiming most of your income, then you will not be on the receiving end of the biggest safety net. Majority of people who are in the service industry who are retired live solely on social security, which is terrifying Right? because like the average payout for people who are claiming their income in full last, I think it was 2020 was like $20,000. And if you can't imagine living on that, then you're going to be, it's, people in the service industry age into the most economically disadvantaged people in our population. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is because of social security is because of these benefits that aren't in place for them. So things like setting up your own benefit system, like your retirement accounts, like your emergency fund, and then also claiming your income so that you have some social security coming towards you can really make all the difference that, and you know, you're a big fan of real estate. I'm a huge fan of real estate as well. Claiming your income is so important to getting into the real estate game. Majority of Americans become millionaires, one through their 401k and two through their primary residence. So this is a huge way that service industry people are being left behind. And you have to start by claiming your income. Banks want to see minimum of two years of income in order to qualify for, you know, not predatory lending rates. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And there's formulas that anybody that's approving your mortgage is going to be looking at. And those formulas are, you know, it's around say a third of what you make gross and you make actually make a hundred grand. But if your taxes say 50 grand, that's what the lender is going to be able to assume 
and approve you for a home that somebody that makes 50 grand would be approved for. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's another way that they're just like left out. Yep. Yep. I thought that was a really good point. And something that of course, being in this space, I know, but I never really put a lot of thought into. So I thought that was really valuable for people. So what advice do you have for people who are in the service industry today? And don't say, get out. I hear that so much, like get out of that <sighs> industry, blah, 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 right? But you don't have to. But So what advice do you have for people? Oh, yeah. I really hate that advice because it's like we're we're taking the people who are the closest to modeling good financial behavior and we're removing them from the industry. And I just think we're just continuously making the industry worse. Like there are 5.5 million people working on tip-based income. This industry is not going anywhere. It is the fabric of our communities. It is the reason that us real estate investors pick the properties that we do is based on, oh, what restaurants and bars are nearby? What, you know, like, what is this community going to be looking like? And the way a community look is largely based on the establishments that are there. So, um, no, I don't want people to get out of the industry as long as they're able to navigate those things we talked about earlier, which is like boundaries and the workplace hazards. If you're able to manage boundaries, then I think this is an incredible career to have long-term and you can have a lot of fun and you can still retire early. Um, yeah. So I think that my biggest piece of advice is an emergency fund in this industry. There's a lot of in power imbalances when you're in the service industry because you are serving somebody else. And when you have that emergency fund in place, it allows you to keep some of the balance, some of the power in 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 your own corner. And you can say no to maybe situations that feel unsafe or not okay or to toxic bosses. It, it gives you the freedom to kind of move within the space to a way in a way that works for you. Absolutely. Yes. So if you are, say, a server and you have a guest maybe that you're uncomfortable with or something like that, if you don't have a safety net, if you could not walk off that job, right, because you need the money or for whatever reason, you may have to do things that you don't want to do, right? Is that kind of the general idea? Yeah. And it's not even just the job. It's even just that, that table, right? Like if you need, if you need money to make your rent that night and you have a table of a bunch of, you know, inappropriate people who are saying things to you that are just not cool. If you need that money, you're going to let that slide. And that's, that's not okay. Right. Whereas if you have resources where you're like, I got this month's rent. I've got savings if I need to. I don't have to put up with this behavior. And my restaurant doesn't have to put up with having these type of patrons. Or you know, my club doesn't have to put up with having these type of patrons. And we can make an example out of them. And then you can you can you know remove those people from your establishment. Uh, whereas if you were in a in a position where you needed that money, you would probably not be able to make that decision. So emergency funds all the way. And our industry, you can get away with three to six months. You know, we're all approaching this recession. And so I'm leaning towards telling people six months, but in the service industry, three months is usually a great place to start because we have an easier time finding work. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really good point in your book. And something else I wanted to touch on was you had some creative ways. You even just, you even just said that one, right? I think people are more generous tippers around the holidays. I certainly try to be. So that was a great tip, right? Tip, huh? But like your extra, <laughs> your your holiday tips, right? Put those somewhere, put those towards something. What are some other creative ways that people can use their tips to save for things? 
Yeah. I like to make everything a game because it just makes it so much more fun. So if you're somebody who's, you know, serving at a restaurant and you have like a six table section, I love the idea of taking one table and making that your savings, your savings table, whatever tips you get from that one table, that's what's going into savings or that's what's going into retirement or investment accounts. If you're at a bar, then you can pick a couple of stools or you can pick people wearing a certain shirt color. If you're a dancer, maybe you want to pick a certain bill type, like, oh, I'll put all the fives that I get into, into savings. So there's a lot of ways that you can make building your emergency fund or even saving and investing fun within your job. And I will tell you there, you work so hard on those particular tables or clients when you know that their money is going to be paying you for the rest of your life. <laughs> that is so cool. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to make sure that we, we definitely talked about that. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before you wrap up? I think a lot of people in the service industry who aren't familiar with you know, the, the personal finance world with investing, with financial services, it can feel really overwhelming and intimidating. And I always like to remind people that if you can talk about the differences between four different types of red wine, four different types of white wine, four different types of whiskey, you are smart enough and capable enough to be investing. You are smart enough and capable enough to be in, 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 doing all of the things in finances. And so don't let the jargon or other people's opinions of your job keep you from building the freedom, the financial freedom that you deserve. Well said. So how can people get in touch with you and buy the book? Yeah, the book's available on Amazon. You can just type in tipped or tipped book. The subtitle is very long, so I don't expect people to remember, but tipped or tipped book will get you there. Um, people can get in touch with me through my website, www.tippedfinance.com, or you can find me um, on the socials at Tipped Finance. I mostly hang out on Instagram, but I'm trying to do TikTok <laughs> and I'm, I'm not anywhere near where you are on Twitter, but I, I do re I do retweet some things. So I, I do do Twitter too. Yes. You've responded to my DM. So that was good. <laughs> and we got to meet in person at FinCon, which was really cool. Yeah, that was awesome. So everybody, you can follow me on Twitter at adulting is easy. I'm on YouTube at adulting is easy. I am on Instagram at adulting is easy real speaking of something that I am really going to try hard at soon. I'm on Facebook as well, or you can email me at real adulting is easy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Hopefully Barbara and I have made adulting a little easier for you. Hey everybody, it's Lauren again. Thank you so much for your support of the show over the last four years. I'm launching a new way for you to support the show and that's via donations via cash app. I will put the link in the show notes from now on. If you donate $20, I'll shout you out on the show. If you donate $50, I'll shout you out and send you a t-shirt. If you can't afford to donate right now, that's okay. You can also support the show by telling someone about it. Tell them verbally, tell them via email, or share on social media if you're getting value. I really appreciate you guys. And please don't forget to email me with feedback or ideas at realadultingiseasy at gmail.com. Thanks again.